Good morning and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian Church. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. We are located in beautiful Uptown Columbus on the corner of 11th and 1st. We would love for you to join us for worship or just stop by and say hello. At First Presbyterian Church, we welcome you with grace and gratitude for God's love. I invite you to stand as we join in the call to worship. God is with us and calls us by name. In the midst of loneliness and isolation, God is with us. In the midst of a crowd, God is with us. Let us remember what the psalmist said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Let us worship God with song. I invite those who are able to please stand for our second lesson. This comes from Mark's gospel in the first chapter, beginning in verse 9. Listen now to the Word of God. In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as He was coming up out of the water, He saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on Him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved, with you. I am well pleased. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Back in 1998, I had the opportunity to travel to England and specifically to go to London and to spend almost a week there with a cousin. One of my first cousins, and some of you may know this, one of my first cousins married a Londoner back in 1985. And at a cousin's gathering, she had said, said to me, we'd love to have you come over. Stay at our house. We'll feed you. Just come on over. Well, I realized I had a pretty good deal. The rooming is covered. Two meals a day, covered. I just had to get myself over there and enough of an Anglophile that I could get around the city without a problem, and I knew what I wanted to see. In fact, later her husband told me how easy house guest I was because I went with their schedule, and basically I was gone all day. I was basically just an extra mouth to feed at supper that night. And I didn't bring any drama with me either, but that's another story. As I was preparing for the trip, I got a letter from my cousin. And again, for some of you all, this is before email and texting, and the uh, internet was still young. I was not on it. So she sent me a letter. Anyway, she said, I've just come off of my maternity leave. It'd be a little cheeky for me to ask for time off. So here is the map uh, of our village little village of Cheam in Sutton Borough, and this is the bus you'll need to take from Heathrow Airport to get there. So all of a sudden I thought, okay, I've got to figure out once I get off, once I get through customs, get my luggage, get myself to the buses, follow the bus, I mean, ride on the bus, following the map, and then once I'm let off at this stop in Cheam Village, navigating a few blocks to their house. 
Well, it worked all right. I got there without a problem. And in fact, when I went back over in 02, flew into Gatwick, went into the city, did a few other things, and then came back out uh, by underground and bus and literally just came down the road with my luggage and just said, hello, I'm here from the States, popping up to their house. But as I prepared, I knew I had to really pack smart uh, because there was no one to meet me at the airport. I had to get it around. And so it was a question of what do I want to take and what do I need to leave in order to reach my goal uh, and, to, and my focus and my purpose. In a way, you could say I had a bit of a, I mean, I had a blessing at the beginning by saying, here, come see us and all of this is provided my trial, and I'll use that word loosely here, lightly here, was I had to figure out some steps along my way. My mission was to get to that house, my focus to enjoy London, England. Now, that's a very lighthearted example, I realize, to set the stage today. But if we look at the first chapter of Mark, we'll see just those elements as Jesus begins his epic journey. We have the blessing and the baptism. The trial will come up uh, when he's in the wilderness. He speaks and acts on his mission as well as his focus. Today, I want to focus on the blessing that came when he was baptized by John the baptizer. There is great power and blessing Robert Lewis, a pastor in Arkansas, says that a son needs to hear three things from his father. I love you, I am proud of you, and you're good at. You're good at something. And it could be something that you do, the son does, or some character in his life. And in this baptismal blessing, we see these elements. My beloved son, I love you. I am well pleased. I'm proud of you. And making that point of speaking as others were gathered, that implies listen to him. He's good at something. Listen to what he has to say. There is great power in these words of blessing. A friend of mine from seminary was ROTC in the Navy. And so, um, you know, went through that four years and then to seminary. And he said, we had a saying, you need 10 attaboys for every you messed up. Now, he cleaned it up for seminary speak, uh, but the point was there. We need to hear those words of blessing, and they really need to outweigh those words of you messed up. Meg Meeker is a pediatrician, and she has written extensively about the power of a parent's blessing a child and the power that has in that child's life. She shared an early day when she was preparing for medical school, but she was feeling very uncertain. Can I do it? Will this be possible? And was really wavering back and forth and wavering to say that she wasn't going to do it. Well, she overheard her father on the phone. He was talking to one of his friends. Friend was catching up with them. And he heard in a very matter-of-fact voice, Oh yeah, Meg. She's going to medical school. It, as far as the father was concerned, it was a done deal. And she said, when I heard him say that, and I knew he believed in me, I knew 
I could do it. She knew she could continue. The whole idea of blessing is deeply rooted in Scripture as we read of God's dealing with God's people. All the way back into the Old Testament, time and time again, blessings are given. The particular blessing that was part of the first lesson is a blessing of Jacob to his sons. This is much further in the story, and so let me give you some backstory to bring you up to where we heard earlier today. Esau and Jacob are the two sons of Isaac. They are twins. Esau was born first. Therefore, he is the firstborn, and certain privileges go with that. Jacob is smart. He's at one point considered a bit of a mama's boy, but to me, he's just too smart and too clever to really be be that kind of weak person. He's very sharp. He stays around the tents, but obviously he listens and he thinks. Esau is a man of the fields and often acts before thinking, as we will find out. At one point, Esau is out, and he come, in the fields he comes back, and his brother has prepared a delicious meal. And he says, I need some. I'm about to die. Figuratively speaking, he wasn't literally starving to death. And uh, Jacob says, okay, first you must sell me your birthright as the firstborn. And Esau says, well, what's good as a birthright if you're starving to death? So sure, go ahead and have it. And so he sold it. Now, while you can later fault Jacob for his wheeling and dealing, I think in this instance, you just simply have to say, Esau, boy, what were you thinking when you did that? Anyway, Esau loses out on the birthright. But the another, next big thing is the blessing. Now, in this family, there are issues in this family. And Isaac, the father, favors Esau. And uh, Rebecca, the mother, favors Jacob. The time is coming. They think it's the last days for uh, Isaac. And she says, you know, you basically need to get the blessing. You've got the birthright, but you need that blessing that goes with the firstborn. Here's what you do. You get a nice meal. Serve it to your father. He can't see. So get some of the sheepskin, with the, you know, the sheep hair on it, and um, it'll smell like your brother because he's outside all the time. It'll feel like your brother because he's very hairy and you're very smooth, and the meal will, will soothe things over, and from that you can get the blessing. Now I have visions of this scene as he is coming in there with the meal, uh, at one point, Isaac says, well, you sound like Jacob, but you feel and you smell like Esau. And I even have this humor, humorous image of Jacob going, oh, 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 got, a, got, a, got a cold, sorry, got a cold, you know, to kind of cover the voice. You've seen that sometimes done on television. You know, someone's been impersonating somebody else. And he gets the blessing. He steals it away. Esau comes, he's prepared for the blessing, he's prepared something, and Isaac realizes the deception that has taken place and says, there's nothing for you, I can't give you anything. Esau is understandably furious, and Jacob is advised to lay low, go see the relatives for a while, and he does for 14 years, he is away. Later, he returns 
The story is much more involved than for today, but essentially the brothers have a reconciliation. And in fact, Jacob says to Esau, who is hugging him and welcoming him back, and says, I have seen your face as one sees the face of God. You have received me favorably. In the end, Jacob is blessing his older brother. The story continues. You've got Jacob and his 12 sons. And Reuben is the oldest, the firstborn son. But Joseph is favored. Joseph is number 11 in the birth order. He is the oldest son of the um, favored wife. So he is in that sense, he is a firstborn. But the fact is, he is number 11 of 12 kind of way of understanding sometimes how that can work and the differences of the original 12 Dalton first cousins, I am number 10 of the 12. I am the firstborn of my father, but I'm number 10 of 12. On my mother's side, I'm number one of three. And believe me, there's definitely a difference. Um, all grandparents loved me, but it's just different. 10 from 12 versus number one of three. Joseph is the favored son. He is sold into slavery by his jealous brothers. He's sold into slavery into Egypt and eventually rises to prominence. And finally, uh, the brothers come down there. Uh, there's famine in their land. He has grain saved up in Egypt and uh, he reveals himself to his brothers. There's another reconciliation and Jacob comes down. The whole family comes down and lives in Egypt. In Jacob's last days, he gives a blessing to the people, to his sons. And it's kind of funny. Again, uh, Joseph comes forward and uh, Jacob wants to bless the younger son over the older son. Um, J Joseph, again, having that first son's position, gets a double portion. One will go to each of his two sons. And it's kind of funny. Jacob says, no, 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 I'm going to bless the younger one. And uh, Joseph even arranges them so, oh, daddy can't see too well. He'll put his hands out there. And uh, Jacob is like, you can't pull, pull anyone over me. I'm the master. He crosses his hands <laughs> to do the blessing that way. Can't outfox the fox master. Anyway, the blessings are given. We heard today the blessing that went to Judah. And he is the ancestor of Jesus. Again, look through those words and the things that are said. Phrases like, a scepter will never depart from your hand. The blessing continued even on to today. There is great power in blessing. There's the power that blesses as we are blessed by God. And there's that power as we bless others. In Jesus Christ he fulfilled the work, the blessing work of God the Father. His work in His ministry and life, He bore our sins on the cross, and we are blessed with the forgiveness that He provides. And He in turn calls us to be a source of blessing to the rest of the world. We are called to be a blessing. In the Old Testament, often they would say, may God bless you, words along those lines. And sometimes they, an individual would bless another individual. The implication was, may God bless you. 
When we bless others, we are giving grace in a way to another person. And there are many ways and opportunities that that takes place. At 8.45 worship, I was sitting there listening uh, to the prelude and realized I had an example right in front of me. This cover that I've got here was a wedding gift from my best man. And I remember when he gave it to me, he took me up to the upstairs room. We were at the church uh, before the wedding, and he was there with me. And he pulled me aside and he said, Jones, I know that if your father was alive, he would be your best man, and I know he would be with you here today. And these are the words that he would say to you. And he proceeded to speak of the accomplishments in my life and the hopes that he had for me. This is the blessing your father would give you. I want to give you now. There's power in blessing. I like this story I came across of a young man named Scotty. He was also one of two. When he was going to high school, his mother and father divorced. And later, his mother remarried a man and who was named Robert. And in fact, Scotty and his brothers called him Daddy Robert. He said, and this is what Scotty is talking about, his stepfather. My brother Tommy was the strong one, the gifted student, the stellar athlete. I was the weaker brother, the skinny one, the split end, not the tight end. I had low self-esteem, but one day that all changed. Daddy Robert, my stepfather, was driving me on to one of my football games when he patted my leg and said, you know, Scotty, you're really strong. What? The words took me by surprise. I looked up at him, and suddenly I felt alone with this man, Daddy Robert. Up to then, he had been one large component of our family, and yet a virtual stranger to me. And now, for the first time, I saw us as a combination of two. Not he and Mom, and not he and Buzz, and not he and Tommy. It was he and I. He said again, you are really strong. You're wiry. His hand felt huge and warm, and something surged in my veins. He believed in me. With my oversized helmet sitting atop my bird-like frame, I must have looked like a Tootsie Pop roll on the football field. But given those simple words, I, I was set loose with a fury. On the Lancaster Tigers in particular, there was a terror across the line of scrimmage that night. I could see it in the eyes of the Lancaster players who lined up in front of me. Little did he know, I'd had hands laid on me, anointing me for battle. All because Daddy Robert had said something. For four quarters, my opponent felt the full force of ageless patriarchal blessings smashing against his head and shoulders, and I was a different man. All because my stepfather had spoken life to me. He had given me that blessing. Well, here's a story told of a young girl and the power of a teacher. Mary Ann Bird grew up knowing that she was different, and she hated being different. She was born with a cleft palate, a disfigured face, a crooked nose, 
lopsided teeth, and deafness in one ear. When she started to attend school, students would make fun of her, and sometimes they would ask, well, how did that happen? And she would just say that as a baby, she had fallen on a piece of glass and cut herself. Somehow it seemed better to say this is the result of an accident, not that I was born this way. By the age of seven, Marianne was convinced that no one outside of her own family could ever love her or even like her. But then she was in second grade with Mrs. Leonard. Mrs. Leonard was round and pretty and fragrant, with chubby arms and shiny brown hair and warm dark eyes that smiled even on the rare occasions when her mouth did not. Time came in that year for the school's annual whisper test. Marianne was barely able to hear anything out of one ear and was not able and was not about to reveal that problem to others. They all could see the physical disformities, but she had little tricks to cover the deafness in one ear. She learned to watch the other children and could even, uh, when there was a group test, just follow the hands that were being done. There was another trick she had to master too. This was the individual test. Each child would go to the door of the classroom, turn sideways, cover one ear with a hand, and the teacher would whisper something from her desk. And the child would then repeat that back. The same thing was then done for the other ear. And Marianne discovered in kindergarten that no one checked to see how tightly the untested ear was being covered. So she merely pretended to block her ear. As usual, Marianne was last, but all through the testing, she wondered what Mrs. Leonard would whisper to her ear. She knew, just as people had spoken of the test from before, that Mrs. Leonard usually whispered things like, the sky is blue and do you have new shoes? Finally, Marianne's turn came. She turned her almost deaf ear to Mrs. Leonard, plugging up the other solidly with her hand, and then gently backed her hand off enough to be able to hear. And she waited and then heard the words from Mrs. Leonard's mouth, seven words that would transform, transform Marianne Bird's life. Mrs. Leonard whispered softly, I wish you are my little girl. That seemingly small encounter changed Marianne's life forever. Now, physically, nothing changed about her. She still had the cleft palate, disfigured face, crooked nose, lopsided teeth, and she still had deafness in one ear. And she was still the object of her classmates' painful ridicule. But everything changed inside for Marianne Bird. She began to see that her classmates' judgments were neither the only words about her, nor were they the final words. She started to understand herself as loved and lovable. And she dared to envision a future not constrained by her circumstances, but a future that could transcend them. And so the little girl who thought of herself as a reject and a loser, as someone outside, as unacceptable, 
found out that someone wanted her, and it changed her life. It should not surprise you to know, know that when Marianne Bird grew up, she became a teacher, following in the footsteps of the person who had set her free. All by words of blessing. In Mark 1, we see the, the epic journey of Jesus Christ as recorded in that gospel, and it's fast-paced, and a lot happens in chapter 1. In that chapter, we see a blessing, which we have talked about today. Next will follow a trial. We'll learn of the mission of Christ, and we'll hear about His focus and what He does. For today, I want us to focus on the power of blessing, the power of God to us, having blessed us in Jesus Christ, so that we in turn can bless others and speak words of grace and hope and love to them. In Jesus' name, amen.